Zechariah chapter 3. I am excited about this morning's message. I had another one prepared that we will probably go back to uh, that from Zechariah chapter 2. But look at Zechariah chapter 3 with me. We'll start reading in verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, this is not Joshua as in Joshua and Caleb. This is much later. So this is Joshua, the high priest, not Joshua, the leader of Israel. So, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And look at this. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Satan standing at his right hand. Interesting. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Dear Heavenly Father, help us this morning as we try to understand some things from this passage. Thank you for your amazing word. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church and the opportunity to gather together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's so good to see you all here this morning. I was thinking about you and praying for you this week. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a church to have a church family that loves you, a place to study the Bible and worship, a place for you young people to have other godly young people to come around and have a good time with. It's such a wonderful thing. And do you understand that none of this could take place if we didn't get saved? If not for the glorious gospel of Christ, the joy and the peace, the hope for the future that we have, it wouldn't be there. We wouldn't have it. Now, this passage of Scripture and this whole chapter is obviously dealing with the salvation of Israel and the way that God is going to save them. Look with me in verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. And look at what it says. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So there is going to be a day when Jesus Christ redeems Israel. He is going to, he's going to change them. What an exciting thing that is. It's just a wonderful truth. But I want us to look this morning at a spiritual Understanding. We'll look doctrinally and we'll do the cross-references and understand specifically what's going to happen in Israel based on the words of the text another time. But this morning I want us to look at how God changes a believer. And we see it in this text. This is a, it's going to be a fun thing for us, I think. Maybe a sobering thing 
but I think we'll all end rejoicing. Look at what it says in verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right hand to resist him. And look at what it says in verse 2, or verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. So now here is the high priest of Israel. This is the most spiritual man among the most spiritual people chosen and elect of God. And he's standing there, not clothed in his high priestly garments, not clothed in the ephod with the gemstones and with all of the paraphernalia, the, the, the regalia that would surround the high priest of Israel. Here he's standing before the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And what is he, how does he look? Filthy garments. Filthy garments. Have you ever been in a situation where you were underdressed? Right? You walk in and everybody's all dressed up and you look around and I thought it was casual. Or whatever. And you just, you just don't feel right. You know, you feel kind of like a milk bucket under a bull. You, know I mean? you, just, you just don't fit in. Well, we've all been there. I think, other than the milk bucket thing, we've all, we've all been there. But this is something different than that. Imagine if right now you were transported from Sydney, Ohio, to stand in the presence of God, and you no longer had your neighbor to compare yourself to. You no longer had the guy that you worked next to on the line to compare yourself to. Now you're standing before the king and you feel like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where it says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord. And so here is the condition of man before Christ. We are clothed in filthy garments. Would you all agree with that? You see, everybody thinks they're okay. I mentioned in Sunday school that this millennial generation, those born after 1980, that among that group, there are higher instances of narcissistic behavior than in any of the generations before. So what do I mean by narcissistic behavior? How many of you remember the story of Narcissus? He was so beautiful that he saw a reflection of himself in the water and he turned into, he, and he couldn't, he became transfixed with his own beauty and he just looked and he ended up turning into a flower, and that's a narcissist flower. How many of you remember seeing that story? How many of you have never heard that story in your life? That's interesting. Wow. And see, this is why I avoid mirrors, because I know... <laughs> so from that, from that myth comes narcissism, and that's, that's this, this disease, this mental disease of an overly... Uh, powerful infatuation with yourself, self-love. And it's interesting, the Bible says that in the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves. And here's how we do that. Here's how we do this. Aaron, you're special. Yep. You are so great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> You know, can I tell you something? Everybody can't be special. Everyone can't be special. 
Everybody can't be LeBron James. How many of you notice when anybody watches any of the basketball games, nobody looks like LeBron James out there? All right? They're not all special. LeBron's special. What is that called? Reality. Is that right? And so we have participation awards. We have all of these things. You have games without winners. What's the point of that? And so we end up with a society where young people, you know, compulsory promotion. And I don't know if that still exists. Any of our teachers, is compulsory promotion, is that still? Kids have to go to the next grade. Does that still happen? So a kid can be as dumb as a box of rocks and graduate from high school. And then the degree doesn't mean anything. Right? And so what's happening is you end up with a lot of people that are really not very great who think they're awesome. You didn't hear that in any graduation commencement addresses, did you? Can you imagine this commencement address? Young people, you're really not that cool. You know, I don't know whether you'll ever get a job. Do <laughs> you know what people used to be taught? Look. If you work hard, you'll succeed. This is a land of promise. If you work hard, if you do your best, if you, if you work to the best of your ability, and our abilities are all different. The president of the college that I went to, he said, we'll all stand before God and give an account based on our opportunity and our ability. Not everyone has the same opportunity. Not everyone has the same ability. And we have a president who wants to make all of that the same for everybody. How do you give everybody the same opportunity? You can't. It's just it's a pipe dream. It won't work. But what we used to be taught was that if you work hard, if you're diligent, then you will have the opportunity to succeed and your level of success will be based on your hard work and on your ability. Right? And if a kid doesn't have that much ability, then he won't go as far as someone else, but he can go as far as he can. He should go as far as she can. And that's a whole lot farther than telling them they're okay just the way they are. Now, right, there's got to be room for improvement. You can never become what you need to be by remaining what you are. And so we have this society where all of us, we all tell our kids they're special. Now, look, you can tell your child they're special to you. My kids are special to me. Right? I love my kids like I love no other kids in the world. Why? They're mine, and they happen to be better looking and smarter than your kids. And, you know, that's... and we all feel that way about our own kids. I think my kids are musical geniuses, you know. Who knows? But to me, they're awesome. When we stand before God, though, that's when we truly understand the depravity of man. I think that you know, if we'll take this concept of the depravity of man into the broader culture, then we understand the need for a military. There are bad people in the world who want to do bad things to us. Now, of course, you know that we can take the military and do bad things with our military. I think that many of the wars that we've been involved in, we shouldn't have been involved in. This is not, I'm not a hawk. Let's go, let's go find somebody to kill. No. But we live, if we have a proper understanding of the world, the world, let me ask you this question. Is the natural order of things evolution or entropy? 
It's entropy. We all understand that. Everything tends from order to disorder. That's the natural order of things. Things don't get better. So when we see a natural disaster take place, you see the culture devolve around that culture unless there's a Christian basis to it. It's interesting. More Oklahoma gets destroyed and the culture is a lot different than when New Orleans got destroyed. How come we don't talk about that? Because it's not politically correct. You see, in one place there's a culture of hard work, in another place there's a culture of dependence. In one place there's a culture of self-reliance, in another place there's a culture of relying on the government. People standing there in the water saying, how come nobody's coming to get me? Well, look, there's the road. You see? And so we end up, because we have a false view of man, because we have a false view of the individual, the simple fact is we are all bad people in need of a Savior. The high priest stands before God and he is clothed in filthy garments. And then look at the other thing that it says. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And who's at his right hand? Satan is standing at his right hand. What was Satan trying to do? To resist him. It's interesting, the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Here the devil is resisting Joshua and Joshua is the representative of the nation of Israel. So Satan hated Joshua. Satan hates the nation of Israel. Now let's take this to where we're talking about today and the believer. Do you know that Satan doesn't want you to get saved? He doesn't want your children to get saved. He doesn't want people in America to get saved. He doesn't want people in China to get saved. So what does he do? He establishes systems to keep them from understanding their own depravity. Because you can't get saved until you realize you're lost. So this whole idea of not judging someone is completely ridiculous and it's even come into the church. Judge not lest you be judged. That's the only verse in the Bible that some people know. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to judge things because, look, we're going to judge the angels of God. Can't you judge these things? That's what the Bible says about the believer. And so we understand that Satan is going to resist everything that we're trying to do that's right. You know what's interesting is Satan is at his right hand. That's what the Bible says about Judas. Judas was at Jesus' right hand. And we know that Satan actually entered into Judas. And so what are we saying? That the position of authority in the life of Joshua was taken by Satan. The strong arm of Joshua, the position of authority. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the Father. Here is Satan at the right hand of Joshua. So his authority, his power is worldly power. And what kind of power are we supposed to have? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, to the pulling down of strongholds. And yet, we as Christians, we are looking to the world for power, and we need to understand that all of that, all of that, this whole system that's been designed, is simply to find a way for the world to live in a better way so that they never see their need for Christ. They never see their need for Christ. Satan was resisting the man of God. And we understand that. He's the deceiver. 
Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. And that's what's going on in this situation. So here we have people, an individual, standing before God in filthy garments with Satan accusing him. That's exactly the scene that we see in the book of Revelation. But what happens? So you have the condition of the sinner, and that's filthy garments. You have the accuser accusing the sinner before God. Then look at the next verse. Verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan... So this is the angel of the Lord. Said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now look. In the context, we understand this is talking about Israel. But let's look at the believer. Do you realize that every person in the world who gets saved is a brand plucked from the fire? How many of you believe that every sinner in the world deserves hell? You believe that? How many of you believe that the destination for every sinner apart from Christ is hell? How many believe that's their destination? So this is a brand plucked from the fire. I'm a brand plucked from the fire. How many of you are thankful that you were plucked? Oh, man, what is this? This is grace. This is mercy. He's not saying, no, no, you don't understand. This is a good man. This is a righteous man. This is a man that does everything right. This is a man that doesn't deserve to go to hell. That's not what it says. It says, this is, I've chosen him. This is a brand plucked from the fire. Look at the next verse. Verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered, this is the Lord still, and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. You want to know something? Joshua couldn't remove those garments himself if he wanted to. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't cleanse yourself. Look, if any of us are going to have our sin removed from us, we are not going to do it ourselves. We can't do it. We can't do it. Someone else is going to have to do this for us. And the other thing that I think is interesting is God doesn't put a clean garment over a dirty garment. What's He do when He saves us? He washes our sins away. And then He clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look, I understand that in my flesh I'm a sinner. In my spirit, I am just as righteous as Jesus Christ because He has saved me. He's cleansed me. How many of you, that's an uncomfortable statement. When I say that in my spirit, I'm as righteous as Christ. How many of you, honestly, that's an uncomfortable statement for you? Well, and I'm glad that it is because we ought to have some humility, right? In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. But the Bible says, And ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I am alive to Christ. I get to go to heaven because he has made me righteous in Christ. I don't have any righteousness of my own. All of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He's made me holy. That's awesome. What a wonderful gift. I could not do that myself. But then the Bible tells us, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So it was a wonderful thing. It is such a wonderful thing. When Jesus Christ came to me, 
And he took off my filthy garments. And he put on clean garments. I can't take any credit at all for that. But we have a culture. Listen, we have a culture where some people have never been told that they're a sinner. They've never been told that they need a Savior. We've got to tell them. We've got to tell them about the good news, the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. And and what this is, this is conviction of sin, isn't it? And he answered, verse 4, and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, look at what it says. I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. What's it say in the book of Titus? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died that He might redeem us from all iniquity. When you get saved, Jesus takes all your iniquity. Now, let me ask you something. Do we have any sinners here? If you're a sinner here, raise your hand. All right, if you didn't raise your hand, we've got a problem. If any man says he has no sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We're all sinners, right? But here's the wonderful thing. When Jesus Christ saves you, He's removed all of your iniquity. And this is where this whole concept of being able to lose your salvation, it doesn't gel with Scripture. Because nowhere does it say that you've been made good. You've not been made good. But Jesus has taken your iniquity. He took it. And what did He do with it? He had it laid on Himself at the cross. Has anybody ever done anything that they wish they hadn't done? Since you got saved? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for that? And yet we will carry it around as if, as if He never paid for it. We're not supposed to do that. Another thing that we'll do is we will keep putting that on the believer who messed up. And we're supposed to forgive that. That's what we're supposed to do. And look at what I like is look at Zechariah's attitude. Let me, I want to finish this one verse first. Look at verse uh, 4 again, middle of the verse. Behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee, what's it say? With change of raiment. I will clothe thee with change of raiment. Um, let's compare what we've just read. They're filthy. He's filthy. He needs a change of clothing. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Here you have Adam and Eve. Eve takes of the fruit. Then Adam takes of the fruit. And they realized that they were naked. So when the voice of God came to walk with them in the cool of the day, they hid from him because they knew they were naked. So he calls, Adam, Adam, wherefore art thou Adam? No, that's Shakespeare. Wherefore art thou? Where art thou, Adam? That's called a conflation. Um, So he calls for Adam, and Adam hides. He said, why did you hide? And he said, because I was naked. He said, who told you that you're naked? And of course, did did God know the answer to all of these questions? Yes. Uh, I think it was Paul Chappell that I heard say, accusations harden the will, questions stimulate the spirit. It's interesting. So he asks, he, he, he causes Adam to say it out loud. 
And so what does God do then? He clothes them. He sheds blood and he clothes them. What happens here? The old garments are taken away and they're clothed. Keep your place here in Zechariah. Go to Revelation chapter 3. This is the church of the Laodiceans. Look at verse 15. I know thy works, Revelation 3.15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, that, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Um, Andrea, that's that lukewarmness that you were talking about, isn't it? She's taught young people who don't seem to care about truth. We were talking about that in Sunday school. Some people do. Some of the young people do. Others don't. This is that lukewarmness. And this is Christianity in general, isn't it? Oh, who are you to say that, that nakedness is sin? You know, if I, if I want to go to the beach, you know, it's summer. If I want to go to the beach, and I'm a girl, and I want to, you know, walk around in my underwear. What's wrong with that? There's water there. Well, why don't you come to church that way next Sunday? I'll fill the baptistry. Well, I would never do that at church. Well, then why would you do it somewhere else? See, you don't care. You're lukewarm about holiness and righteousness. That's just an example. All right? Let's see if that example is found anywhere in the Scriptures. So then, because thou art lukewarm, verse 16, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, where say so, Christianity, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind... And what's it say? Naked. There's Christians today, they don't even know they're naked. That's when, that's when Christianity is really messed up. How many agree with that? It's amazing. Now, we understand this nakedness here, it's twofold. It's a physical nakedness. We all know what that means. But it's also a spiritual nakedness. It's a spiritual nakedness. We know that because look what it says in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire. So to the market-driven church, Jesus speaks in economic terms that thou mayest be rich. And look at this. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. What is the white raiment? White raiment is that which is given to the believer. And so when a, when a person gets saved, they're, they're naked in their sin. What does that mean? That their sinfulness, their wickedness, it's open and plain to everyone. That's why Adam hid. But Jesus wants to clothe us in righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? This white raiment, the bridegroom's looking for a bride. What a wonderful thing. Go back to Zechariah. Three, the end of verse four, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Look at verse five. So here's Zechariah speaks. He's seeing this, he's seeing now Joshua clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And look at what he says. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. So what happens now? Now he looks like a priest. Now he looks like a king. That's what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ removes your filthiness and clothes you in the garments of his righteousness. You look like a priest. You look like a king. That's the mitre. Keep your place here. Go to Revelation chapter 5. 
Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 9. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. How cool is that? That that scene is the same scene that we're seeing in Zechariah chapter 3. Do you see that? The old garment's taken off. The garment of righteousness is put on. The mitre is put on the head. And they're going to reign and judge. Is that what it says in Zechariah? Look at what it says. Look at verse 6. And the angel of the Lord protested. Zechariah 3, 6. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways... And what are we supposed to do? According to Ephesians chapter 2, when we're saved, we're going to not walk according to the course of this world, but we're going to walk right. If thou wilt also keep my charge, then thou shalt also, what's it say? Judge my house. And shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So what happens when we get saved? We become kings and priests. How do we become kings and priests? How does that happen? First John chapter 3. What is the change that's made? First John chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And how do you become a son of God? You came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God, even to those that believed on his name. All right? So you become a son of God when you get saved. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to look just like Jesus. We're going to, our righteousness will be manifest. It will be evident that it is the righteousness of Christ. Now, if you look around this room, it doesn't look like that yet. It does not yet appear what we shall be. Now, anybody here saved? If you're saved, would you raise your hand? Then you are a son of God. Now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. Can you imagine the beauty? Now, there are some beautiful people in the world, right? Laura and I went to Beverly Hills a couple of years ago. I said, what are you going to do there? I said, we're going to let the beautiful people look at us. <laughs> you know, I had a buddy, Paul Rasmussen, and in college, and he, you, know, you all know Mark Rasmussen. This is Mark's brother, Paul. Paul's tall, 6'4", 6'5", dark hair, dark skin, movie star, good looks. And so we'd, we'd go out fooling around, you know, and if there were girls present, I was completely invisible. Why? Because Paul was there, a good-looking guy. That did wonders for my self-esteem. You know what I mean? We're walking to the mall one day, and the, the, you could see a reflection in the glass. And I never thought of myself as short. We're walking, and I, look, and I saw the reflection. I looked like a midget next to this guy. I was, oh, my goodness. Now, here's the deal. We see all of those. Now, I know some people, when I make a joke about being short, someone said a while back to Laura, it really bothers him to be short. It really doesn't. Because I think everybody's going to be 5'7 in heaven. I think that that's perfect. 7, heaven. See? 
perfect. But all of us, especially you young people, I know there are times when you young people wish that you looked different than you do. Some of you, if you don't feel that way, you really should. Um, <laughs> that was rough, wasn't it, Chad? That, that, was, that was... Some of these kids are going to go, was he talking about me? Should I not? <laughs> Mom, am I ugly? <laughs> then you have to decide whether you're going to lie or not. Um, you're beautiful on the inside. <laughs> that was a saying when we were in school, beauty only goes skin deep, but ugly goes clear to the bone. <laughs> um, have we digressed? <laughs> now look, we can all look around and people get hung up on beauty. We talked about that some in the Mother's Day message. But one of these days, we're all just going to look like Christ. That's true beauty. The beauty of holiness. The one who is altogether lovely. So let's not even worry about it now. Let's, that's what Christ is going to do for us and we are going to rule and reign with Him forever. So what have we learned from this text? Well, we've learned that when we stand before Christ, we're clothed in filthy garments. We've learned that we can't take those... And then we're also resisted by the devil. He hates righteousness. He hates holiness. He doesn't want anyone to come to Christ. We also see that Christ, Christ wants to remove those filthy garments from you. And we understand that we can't remove them ourselves. We can't wash ourselves. We also understand that He wants to do more than remove the filthy garments. He wants to put new garments on us. And those are the garments of a priest and a king. You know what? I think maybe some of the self-esteem stuff is right. But it's not esteem because of myself. It's esteem because of what Christ has done in me. You know what? I can stand before you today and I can say, I'm a son of God. I can stand before you and say that Christ has given me new appetites. My old appetites are still there because I have a flesh, but he's given me the ability to have new appetites. I can tell you this, Christ has given me the ability to love righteousness. I don't disdain righteousness anymore. I love righteousness and I aspire to holiness, even though that I know in my flesh I'm still a sinner. But I can stand before you and say, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to judge angels. So now I need to use the scripture to judge things in the church. Well, you're supposed to do that. You're the pastor. No, no, we're all supposed to do that. That's all of us. Why? Because we're all going to be priests and kings, and we are going to judge angels. Somebody asked me the other day, what does that mean? I have no idea. But it's pretty cool. So what have we seen? When we stand before Christ, even if we're religious, how many of you would think that the high priest is religious? When we stand before Christ, even if we're religious, we are clothed in filthy garments. We are being accused and resisted by Satan. But Jesus Christ wants to take those garments off and put clean garments on. He wants us to be recognized as kings and priests so that we can judge His people and we can also have order in those courts, as it says in the text. How many of you think that the world could stand a few more Christians? Amen. So what do we learn? 
let's go tell somebody that they need the righteousness of Christ. There's something else interesting about this. And that is, you know that Christ won't just do this to you? The Bible says, whosoever will. Whosoever will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call on Him, this is what will happen. If you don't call on Him, this won't happen. How many of you are glad that you called on Him? If you haven't, if you have just accepted your parents' religion, if you have just started coming to Grace Baptist Church because you enjoy the believers and you like being here, that does not mean that you're saved. Coming to Grace Baptist Church will never take anybody to heaven. Being a member of Grace Baptist Church will never take anyone to heaven. The only thing that will save a person is the righteousness of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, washing your sins away. Wonderful thing, though, is when He washes those sins away, you're clean. Let's say that out loud. If you're saved today, let's say, I'm clean. Ready? I'm clean. Let's say it again like you believe it. I'm clean. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you know what that does? That frees us up to serve Him. Doesn't mean that we don't have sin in our lives. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We still have to confess what we're... But before God, you're clean. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.